1: Va a llegar el
2: gol del Arsenal. marca Mesut O'Zil.
1: McCarthy's made a mistake and Ketia will pounce and Ketia will score. A loss of concentration and a
0: gift for Eddie Ketia. This is Askcast
1: Extra. Hello and welcome to another Cast Extra, as always, with James from Blog. James, goodly morning to you.
2: Goodly morning to you too. What a night it was yesterday for the Premier League, an iconic moment. Fans in red spilling out into the streets to celebrate. Arsenal have 40 points. We're we are staying, staying up.
1: We are staying up. See, we are staying safe as houses we are right now. And clearly that was the big story from the Premier League last night. I of cannot course. think of anything else that might have happened that might be worth talking about or mentioning or, or even referencing uh, in any kind of way. So it is a, a big, glorious uh, occasion for, for the Arsenal, for Arsenal Football Club. It's our first ever win after a worldwide pandemic. <laughs>
2: It is. It is. And it's another first for this Arsenal team. So, uh, mightily relieved. Isn't it incredible how the result of a football match can completely... Change uh, your entire worldview quite quickly.
1: Yes, it really is. It really is. Maybe that says something about the absurdity of what football is and isn't. But at the same time, you know, this is this is who we are. This is what we do. And uh, pretty much everybody listening to this, I'm sure, will be able to identify with that sentiment. You know, uh, life is better when Arsenal win football games. That is my. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my maxim. It's better think- when we win.
2: Listen, it's a good way to. It's a good thing to live by. If it, if it could happen more often, yes, that would be nice. Yes, as well.
1: Yeah, I could get on board with that. Like doing a lot more winning. Like I don't know some other clubs that I can't think of who might have done similar things this season. And again, nothing could've... springs to mind. No. right now. No. Anyway, I'm drinking here out of my uh, completely unsmashed Arsenal mug. <laughs> and I've got a coffee, and we have won a game of football, so we should talk about that game of football, Arsenal 2, Southampton 0. And, you know, when I was watching this, I was thinking, this isn't particularly a great game of football. And no. <laughs> in the cold light of day, I stand by that. Mm. <laughs> Nevertheless, I do think there were some interesting bits and pieces that we can take from this game and this performance. Um, I suppose the first thing that we will talk about is is the lineup and the team selection. And there wasn't a great deal of change from the Brighton game. Uh, Granit Xhaka, of course, in midfield, I think immediately gives us uh, a bit more structure. Kieran Tierney in at left back. Um, and we had, who else? Rob Holding was in, of course. No, he played against Brighton as well. What was the other change? Eddie and Kedia uh, uh, up front. I- yeah and Emmy martinez as Emmy well. martinez of course, in goal in in for Bernd Leno, so you know fairly like for like replacements um shaka I think we can we can touch on in a while. there were a couple of omissions which we will talk about a little bit later on in the show. but what was interesting about the way we set it wasn 't so much the team selection but the team shape. you know, I saw Saka again in midfield and i was thinking oh well this is going to be interesting to see if he can be kind of the link man you know with shaka uh, and sabios we need someone to connect the you know the midfield and the attack and i'm not sure we ever really did that all night but part of it was because saka played much more on the left-hand side than i thought he was going to do and that was something we had a little chat about uh, last night on on the whatsapp
2: yeah, he was playing almost as like a, a wing back, really. And Tierney was sort of narrower. I mean, Tierney's played as a central defender for Scotland. He's played sort of in that Nacho Monreal left side of a back three role quite a few times because they got um other guy who plays for some other team who's quite a good left back. Right? Never um, heard of him. Never heard of again, him. Again, again, nothing springs to mind. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I thought the shape was interesting. I mean, what I have noticed is that in each of our games since the restart, Arteta has kind of changed little bits and pieces, you know, whereas I think before the break, the shape was a lot more consistent, yeah. in some ways more simple. It feels like now he's, you know, I don't want to say tinkering, but sort of making little adaptations game by game uh, that are a little bit more complex. And
1: yeah,
2: it seems to suit, I mean, Saka, the incredible thing about him is, wherever you play him he seems to look comfortable
1: yeah he really does i mean what do you what do you put that down to because i think you're right to point out that before lockdown we had this kind of system in place and uh, mm-hmm. the the pieces felt a bit sort of interchangeable but the system more or less stayed the same whereas now there are tactical shifts and he spoke afterwards about you know needing to use those tactical elements to to get results and and everything else but do do you think it's a case that he's sort of looked at just the physical aspect of what's going on in terms of his players and, and getting them back up to full speed. Like we saw Kieran Tierney, uh, you know, go off at cramp because mm-hmm. it was a hot day. And of course, as a Scotsman, he's not used to temperatures over about 15 degrees Celsius. You know, uh, that's a joke, by the way. I'm sorry. They do uh, sometimes get temperatures above 15 degrees. Uh, but, you know, it, it, this is, this is a guy who you know hasn 't played for seven months um, because of injury, et cetera et cetera came back, played a game, was left out of the next game in the next game you know he 's got this this cramp which forces him off the pitch we 've Hector bellerin who we 're going to talk about a little bit later on as well you know again, somebody who missed a lot of football has now played three games on the trot three ninety minutes uh, as far as I can uh, make out you know so do you think some of these tactical shifts are to perhaps ease the physical burden on some of the players. Because if you look in particular, let's say Tierney and Bellerin, your idea when you hear about those two guys being in the team is, OK, we've got these two fullbacks who are going to bomb on up the wings, they're going to cover a lot of ground. But in both cases, they're, it feels like their movement and, and what they're being asked to do is sort of restricting the physical effort that they're going to have to put in.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And he's reducing their space, the amount of ground they need to cover, which I think, given their particular problems is worthwhile and maybe given maybe the lack of sort of quality replacements potentially in those areas of the pitch I mean uh, if, if you think about Mikel Arteta's style and kind of the intensity and the pressing and the zeal he wants his teams to play with I always think it is a little bit akin to well, the way Mauricio Pochettino's teams at Spurs play well the fullbacks were the first players to be rested in those teams you know they had four fullbacks and they would almost alternate them game by game mm. and given that Arteta sort of isn't doing that necessarily and doesn't want to do that and can't Uh, do it
1: in fairness you know with with the right back
2: with the right back he absolutely can't and I don't know even if he if he had everyone available if he would want to Mm. um it does make sense to afford those players a, a measure of protection but there is a there is a cost to that isn't there you know I think you know it doesn't always offer us the fluidity certainly on that flank that you might like going forward.
1: Yeah. And I think that for me that was the thing about yesterday we really struggled to to move the ball and get the ball to our front three, you know, Nicholas Pepe in in whatever he played 65 68 minutes uh, whenever he came off received eight passes. You know, and I I I can I can see when people say Pepe's got to do more, he's got to produce more, which is fine. But we've also got to involve him more. We've also got to get him the ball in areas in which he can be dangerous. And we, we saw against Brighton that he can be really dangerous if you get him the ball in the right positions. So I'm not sure that this current setup or whatever it is, is really designed to get the best out of Pepe. And maybe it shouldn't be, but it is a factor in terms of how threatening we are from an attacking point of view. And I, I think the, the fact that maybe two, if not three of our most dangerous moments in the game came from long balls. It sort of says something about um, the gap that we have in midfield in terms of creativity, in terms of vision, passing ability, whatever you might say. Really early on, Tierney banged a ball forward and, and Aubameyang took it on and, and should have scored. And there was the, the moment in the second half with that remarkable uh, kick from Emmy Martinez. It was mm. like an amazing piece of distribution, Laser precision. Yeah, yeah. I, I was reading a piece in the the Guardian by Nick Ames, uh before mm. the game, and he was talking about exactly that. That this is something that the Arsenal coaches, when Martinez was a younger player, this was something that they they had spotted in him and thought could be a real asset to him, and obviously the team. Uh, and we haven't you know, had to see it a great deal or got the chance to see it a great deal because he hasn't played very much. But, you know, those those moments of real Arsenal danger when Aubameyang hit the bar, when he almost found Nketiah in the middle, came from what was essentially Route 1 football.
2: Yeah, and I think that actually that was probably quite deliberate in some ways because Southampton... You know, they're a pressing team. They can be really good at pressing when they coordinate it right. Uh, And and Arsenal, I think, looked to go over the top of that, looked to go beyond that. And Aubameyang was a real threat in behind, especially with Saka pushing on. It meant that he was pretty narrow uh, and, you know, could sort of play almost as a second striker. So that was interesting. I mean, look, we'd all like to see Arsenal progressing through the midfield and I thought the presence of Saka helped us do that. But clearly Arteta had looked at it as well and thought maybe we can hurt them by Mm. by going over the top, especially with the the pace that we do have up front.
1: Yeah. Did you feel, certainly I felt that after the injury, Saka wasn't quite as prominent in the game as he was previously I mean he filled a role he did a good job down the the left-hand side he protected that uh, that space between himself and Tierney very well and when um, Southampton brought on Kyle Walker Walker Walker-Peters in the second half you know he's a very quick very technically good right back Uh, I thought he dealt with him very well but you know What I was looking at in the first 10-15 minutes was a player who was getting forward and getting into dangerous positions. And maybe he was called back or maybe he was told, look, don't don't expose us in that way. But it just felt to me there was a sort of pre- and post-injury Saka.
2: It was quite a bad injury, I thought, in the first moment. I mean, it was one of those where he was clearly in quite a lot of pain. Mm. Uh, And I was a little bit surprised that he stayed on, actually. So, yeah, perhaps that did have uh, a bit of an impact in terms of impeding his progress down that left flank. I think I agree with you that he, you know, he was a little bit more conservative from that point on. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I still am really amazed that this guy at that age, you can put him in a different position game by game and he seems to adapt to it. You know, his football intelligence is... Excellent, and he has the athleticism that means he can sort of cope in whatever role Artessa chooses for him. I mean, I, it's funny coming back from the break, you know, with Tierney being available again and Aubameyang playing left wing, I thought, oh, maybe we won't see Saka quite as much as we did or quite as consistently mm. as we did. Uh, before the break but I mean if anything he seems to be becoming more important at this point
1: yeah and I think the fact that he's been used in midfield tells us a, a lot maybe about the midfield options that we have but perhaps where they might see his longer term future not simply as a wide player I think he can do an amazing job down that left hand side he's done it at left back he's done it in uh, as part of the front three but just you know we spoke didn't we the other week about um, midfield and the, the, the way that the liver. Uh, who, who's that team I was going to say can't remember Never heard of them, anyway. Mm-hmm. Never Not heard sure. of them. Yeah, doesn't ring any bells. Anyway, a, a midfield, uh, you know, that, that has been effective in the Premier League this season and the calibre or the, the... What's the word I'm looking for here? The profile of player who fits into a midfield in the Premier League these days. He certainly has that, you know? So maybe mm. we're seeing... um Arteta giving him game time in a position that he might want to use him in in the future but look that's that's down the line let's talk about the uh the the opening goal um a bad mistake by Alex McCarthy in the Southampton, in the Southampton goal. You know, it's the sort of thing that happens to goalkeepers, uh, every now and again. But uh, I thought it was really interesting on the sideline to hear Mikel Arteta constantly, constantly talking to Eddie and Keddie about pressing, about when to go and how to go and all that kind of stuff. And, and he said afterwards, you know, I, I like to be a nuisance on the pitch anyway. Um, I think we have to give Nketiah some credit for, for the work that he put in. He put in a real, real shift playing up front. He, he did did uh, a lot of, reminded me a little in, I'm not saying the two teams are in any way comparable, but, but certainly the work uh, in the uh, in the old days that Jack Charlton used to get John Aldridge to do uh, for the right. Republic of Ireland where he would just have him tear around chasing down the goalkeeper, chasing down defenders uh, you know, trying to, to um, close off space and things like that. And it wasn't quite as industrial as that but you know I think he deserves credit for the way that, that he closed down the goalkeeper and he got just reward for it
2: Yeah I did think his work rate was kind of his most outstanding trait on the day and I don't mean that as a criticism at all you know he, he covered a lot of space he worked tirelessly in pretty hot conditions as well I mean you know <laughs> it, was a, it was a very warm day in the south of England yesterday and he, he he will have sweated his way through that game but I was really pleased for him especially to get a goal away from home you know you get young players and Eddie in particular was kind of introduced I think primarily in home games by Arteta he's now getting his chance away we know what Lacazette's goal record is like away from the Emirates Stadium the fact that Eddie's gone and well exactly and uh, the fact that Eddie's gone and got one uh, on the road I think will give him a lot of confidence and actually do his chances of, sort of playing football more regularly no harm whatsoever and I actually was in- encouraged by You know, we think of Lacazette and Aubameyang having this sort of great understanding on the pitch and I'm not sure if that's ever sort of borne out quite as much as we believe but I thought Aubameyang was a really really good foil Freddie Nketiah yesterday and there was one moment in particular where he was almost too generous where I thought he looked square when he could have shot but there were a couple of moments of link-up play that I thought okay you know maybe there could be a little bit of a partnership for these guys there between now and the end of the season
1: yeah yeah so look uh, nice to see him score and good to see an academy guy come through and take his chance and you know he is somebody that Mikel Arteta has spoken very, very highly about. He mm. he really does seem to to like him and see some real potential in him. Um, so that you know that's good. And I think late on in the first half as well, there was another moment, wasn't there, when he was sent through by Pepe again. His his movement, I think, is really impressive. I think it's quite sharp uh, around the box, uh, referencing that chance for you know for Aubameyang to find him from the Martinez free mm. kick. You know his movement was there. he he'd torn away from the defenders. And if Aubameyang had put the ball uh, in the middle, I mean, it was a good piece of defensive uh, work by whoever the fuck it was, uh, Bednarak, I think. Um, you know, had that not happened, Nkedia was, you know, free for a tap-in and that's down to his movement. So, uh, you know, there are, there are things that are encouraging about his game. Yeah,
2: and look, he's not perfect. And I think we all recognise that. But... Scoring goals is an invaluable trait, especially for a team who don't have that many goal scorers, who've lost one in Martinelli. You know, we do need something from Enketia between now and the end of the season. And I think his, his link up play, technical elements of his play, could improve mm. but, but they could improve, do you know what i mean i mean it 's not always the case that a player walks into a team and immediately looks at home in every respect. I think the fact that he 's getting these opportunities and scoring these goals is a great sort of starting position for him to be in, and if his all round game can can come up to match that, then we will have a very, very handy player.
1: Well, what do you think of the, you know, people will say Nketiah is in there ahead of Lacazette and Lacazette has, you know, a lot of experience, uh, former international player, of course, for France, had a great goal scoring record in France. But in terms of the, the, the kind of players that they are, we maybe think mm. their roles are the same, but I think they're, the way that they play is quite different. Different, You know, um, people talk about Lacazette being the guy who can take the ball with his back to goal. I'm not sure that's really his strength, to be honest. It feels to me like Enkedia's strength is getting in the box, the timing of his runs, the, the movement, as I was talking about, and arriving, rather than being somebody who we look to, to link up play 40 yards from goal, which is what seems to be the case with Lacazette.
2: Yeah, I think Nketiah has a sort of natural capacity to kind of sniff out where the chance might be, whereas Lacazette is a player who wants the ball into his feet, you know, wants space. I, I heard Tim Stillman say that he's kind of a Goldilocks striker in that he always is looking for the perfect shot, the perfect connection. And I think that's a very good description. You know, he doesn't necessarily play on pure instinct. He kind of, he, he, he uses his technique and he uses his laces and he wants to kind of set that shot up. And is someone who's a bit more instinctive and improvisational. And the, the big difference between them, I often think, is that uh, and Ketia, you can see him kind of, pressing on the halfway line or let's say even maybe making a tackle or interception on the halfway line and 10 seconds later being within this 18-yard box within the 6-yard box to, to be on the end of a chance I just don't think at the moment Lacazette offers you that being able to sort of literally get about the pitch with the same speed that Nketiah does and uh, I, I think that you know he gives us more options right now so I, I understand Arteta's inclination to play him I think they will kind of rotate because it's an area of the pitch where Arteta feels he probably can and needs to rotate Yeah, but um if it was if I was picking right now on form, you would have to say in Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean I think we we have to pick teams to win games, but we also have to pick teams with an eye on the future as well. Mm. Um so yeah, look yeah, I, I absolutely I, I tend to agree with you there. Um can we talk a little bit about Rob Holding? Because Yes, yeah, for sure. Um you know, there have been so many question marks over the central defenders at Arsenal, and there's been a big question mark over Rob Holding as well because he had a cruciate injury. He had another knee injury when he came back from that, and he looked like a player whose confidence was absolutely shot. Um, which is, you know, it's not nice to see because you know this is a guy who's capable of better. You know this is a guy who, you know, you think back to the 2017 FA Cup final, you know, and this was a guy who was prepared and ready to go like head-to-head with Diego Costa. He he absolutely... Um, What's the word? He relished that encounter, even though Coste is, of course, a really difficult opponent, uh, a very, very good striker. But, you know, holding was there and he was, he, he was into it. And what we saw perhaps before the lockdown and at times this season was a guy who didn't look sure of himself, wasn't maybe convinced of his own, uh, ability. And I mean that physically, you know, after the injuries, it can take some time to build up confidence. But I thought he was quite good against Brighton. You know, it's difficult to find positives from the Brighton game. But I watched the, the breakdown by Adrian Clark. And I sort of got a slightly different perspective on that game, uh, which isn't to say it was good or anything. But, uh, you know, he pointed out that Holding uh, finished the game with 96% pass completion. Um, I know some people pointed fingers at him for the goal, but I, I really feel like that's just more unfortunate than than uh, poor defensive play. And I thought last night what we saw was a player who kind of knows he's got to take his chance and and went for it in terms of his performance because what i saw was a player who who was reading the game who was looking to make the headers who was looking to dominate in the sen- in the uh, penalty area i think he won 100% of his his aerial jewels. i think he had eight out of eight clearances you know he he can read the game very well and i thought that was the case uh, last night i think w- one of the one of the dangerous moments from uh southampton point of view came when holding was about to head the ball clear and Ceballos flicked it on I think it came for Redmond. That might have been the one where he hit it into into the side netting. Yeah. But had he not been there, Holding was heading that clear. So uh, I, I'm I'm really encouraged by that from from an Arsenal point of view. And it's great to see Rob Holding um, just take a step forward again because he's he's struggled a little bit.
2: He has, and it's a big performance for him in that respect. You know, to come through the game with a clean sheet, looking comfortable, probably being uh, the best of our of our defenders. I, I hope it will give him a bit of confidence I hope it will enable him to get back to something like what he was I mean it's 2017 this is a while ago now and he was really really promising in that run in towards the end of the season you know going into that FA Cup final what a massive performance that was from him and he's been interrupted then in terms of his development with playing time with injuries But I do think those positive traits are there. And and honestly, I thought he was headed for the exit door prior to the spate of injuries we've had at centre-half. I really did think his time at Arsenal might be, if not coming to a close, then he might get into that sort of Callum Chambers position of going out on loan for a protracted period. But he's got a chance now, and maybe he senses that. Maybe he looks at, you know, Luis Mustafi, Stokratis, the uncertainty there, and thinks... I could actually be a part of things here if I can make this work. And I I would love him to do it because he seems like a great guy and he's been, you know, in a really difficult position coming Mm. back from a very, very serious injury. And he's not had an opportunity to build up anything like a rhythm. You know, It's it's not even like Bellerin where relatively swiftly he was kind of first choice again and able to kind of find or start finding something like his form on the pitch. Holdings just had bits and pieces. The odd under-23 game, the odd run out here and there. And for a player coming back from a long-term injury, that isn't enough.
1: No, and I, do, I I wonder as well when Mikel Arteta obviously he had no choice but to put him in against Brighton because because of the Louis suspension, the Socratis injury, sure. etc. But I wonder if Arteta, you know, whatever he might think of him in training, you've got to see what a player does on the pitch. And I, I wonder if this is a, a if this is something that might change Arteta's mind, or you know, I don't know what Arteta's thoughts are on holding anyway. Um, you know, there have been stories that maybe he was considered surplus to requirements or somebody who we might consider selling but when you look at the lineup of central defenders that we have if i you know if you want one to sort of make it from that group with question marks over it, it's the 24-year-old Englishman, you know, and that's Mm. not just because he's English, by the way. I just mean, you know, Socrates, not a player for the future. Louise, not a player for the future. Mustafi, not really a player for the future, in my opinion, even though I recognize that since Arteta's come in, he has done uh, a lot better than he did previously. Um, So, you know... I think, anyway, Arteta is the kind of guy that if he sees something from players, I mean, he's talked a lot about character, hasn't he? He's talked a lot about, um, you know, showing that you're ready and showing that you can do it when your chance comes. And... In the last two games, I think Holding has shown Arteta that he's still got something about him as a player. You know, early days, of course, and sample size, small. But for me, uh, from last night anyway, Holding was probably uh, the biggest individual positive on the night.
2: Yeah. I think so, especially in that position, because we desperately need something there right now. And I agree with you that he he really could be a part of things. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, oh, we found Saliba's partner on the basis of this one yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, as we know, we need at least four, f- probably five centre-halves in the squad and it would be good... If, it would be great if one of them was Rob Holding. If he can recover and take that spot, uh, I would be really pleased to see it. Yeah,
1: look, I'd rather see Holding in the team uh, than David Luiz, for example. You know, simply because, look, if Holding makes a mistake, uh, maybe it's something he's, uh, he's capable of learning from still at this relatively uh, early stage in his central defensive career. Um, you know, Luiz... Not so much. Uh, so look, I, I hope he can do it, and I hope he, he can take all the encouragement that, that he needs from from last night's performance. Uh, I suppose we might uh, speculate as to whether he, he'll start on Sunday against Sheffield United, but but let's leave that maybe till uh, till part two. Um, the substitutions, given that we talked a lot about Mikel Arteta's substitutions against Brighton, mm-hmm. how do you... How do you feel he he worked it last night in terms of what we saw uh, from Arsenal's overall performance? I mean, did he recognise uh, some of the things that that he didn't in the game against Brighton?
2: I'm having to go back and look. So the first change was Joe Willock, wasn't it? For, yeah. Pepe. Uh, Pepe, which brought with it a little bit of a, a shift in shape, as far as I could tell. I, was, I, I couldn't quite tell, actually. Did Willock play from the right, or did he sort of tuck inside?
1: Sort of. Sort of. I'd have to look at his heat map, to be honest. Um, I
2: think that it went to more of a conventional back five at that point, as far as I saw, with, like, Bellerin and, and uh, you know, it, was like a five,
1: it was like a 5-3-2, I think, with Willock on yeah, the right yeah, yeah. side, maybe.
2: I think you're right, because when Willock came on, he was making a three a three-signal with his hands, and I presume yeah. that referred to the centre-halves and, to an extent, the central midfield. I mean, I, that was a decent enough shape and gave us a bit of structure and solidity. And then, uh, what was it, Lacazette and Maitland-Niles, a bit of fresh legs with ten minutes to go. I could see the logic there. Kolasinac came on for Tierney as well yeah. in that period. I mean, I've got to be honest, I didn't have a massive um, reaction one way or the other to any of our substitutions, D- did you?
1: Not really. I just, I just thought that you know when I think back to the game, and I think there was one chance that that Southampton had. I, I referenced the Redmond one, but that wasn't really uh, to do with open play. It was, at, I think, it could have been that Ceballos header. The one chance that they did have was when Shane Long got in behind. I think Hector Bellerin played him on side, uh, and Martinez made a good save and then made a good second save. Yeah. Um I mean I'm looking at Willock's heat map here. He's in central midfield, he's on the left wing, he's on the right wing, and he's he's up front, so he was kinda mm. he was kinda everywhere. I'm not sure we can glean a great deal from from his heat map. But I thought what they did, the substitutions was allow us i can't i don't want to use the word control because it doesn't it didn't feel like we were in control of the game itself but it felt like we were coping with what southampton were doing if that makes sense so we Mm -hmm. weren't being pulled apart and i don't think the substitutions had any kind of negative impact on us and i think what they did was probably just give us the energy to maintain the organisation and the discipline that we showed which made Southampton, for the most part, fairly ineffective from an attacking point of view.
2: Yeah, and I think energy is the key word there and it's a difficult balance for Mikel Arteta because I think he wants to bring on, if you look at the players who he's bringing on, he's typically bringing on Willock, he's bringing on Maitland-Niles, he's bringing on Eddie Ketcher if he doesn't start. Uh, you know, he is looking to introduce people who we know have that athletic capability, have that energy, but he wants to not make so many changes that it disrupts the system entirely, mm. which is the risk with five substitutes. I thought the balance of that was, was probably better at Southampton. Um, and it's interesting, I mean... Just on the subset of the subs bench, Socrates was back on the bench, which is, I mean, even if he's not a key player for us, he's welcome because we need a bit of depth. And uh, he brought Smith with him, didn't he? A, yeah. You know, academy midfielder too. So I wonder if we might see a bit of that, given that we have 10 substitutes, you know, will he every so often bring a guy who wasn't necessarily going to be involved? I think Zach Medley's already been involved in a bench yeah. this season. So yeah, I, I like that too. Just m- giving someone that first team experience of traveling with the team, being part of the team. Uh, I think it's beneficial, and why not while we have the opportunity?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, we we saw the, the players on the bench with uh, with their parasols or their umbrellas yeah. to keep the to keep the sun off them. Um, I don't know if there's. I think that Mesedoso picture could be iconic uh, in, it, its, it, in its own it, way. It was. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, yeah. Sorry. Go on
2: it's a meme waiting to happen that isn't yeah,
1: it? yeah and our friend uh, at poorly drawn Arsenal did a brilliant one of Lacazette so make sure you uh, you check that out on his Twitter and his Instagram uh, yeah I mean I think the Matt Smith inclusion was because of the exclusion of Matteo Ganduzzi so we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that a bit more in, in part two but before we before we go there you know we might as well talk about the, the Joe Willock goal um, we w- we had a free kick just outside the area I, I, I feel like there was scope for the referee to play play on and to try yeah, and give us an one, advantage it? yeah
2: he clearly he felt it was a red card straight away and he was like i mean i mean to be honest the red card really helped us you know it kind of took i mean the fact that we scored as well we kind of double one in the situation but i was watching it being like he's gonna score let him go but i, I guess you know it allowed us to control the game and and a bit of f- fortune maybe with the goalkeeping on both goals. I mean, Arsenal haven't had much luck or had much go this way since football restarted, so I'll definitely take it.
1: Yeah, I'm just watching it again. Uh, Lacazette's about to take the free kick. It's a bad free kick (laughs) that hits the wall, and then he gets a second bite. It's a stinger of a shot. Yeah, maybe keeper could do better there. I mean, I think if that was your own keeper, you'd be saying uh, that's not great. Um, But, you know, given it's the opposition keeper... I'm just, I'm much more about crediting Joe Willock for his awareness and his, you know, his willingness to follow the ball in and to, to mm. tuck the ball away. Um, I think I've got a question about Joe Willock in the second part, so we'll do that. So, look, just a nice piece of play uh, from the young man. And, and you know, when we've, uh, I think, touched this week on the lack of goals that we've got from central midfield, it's nice to see an Arsenal central midfielder score a Premier League goal.
2: Yes, and I think he will score goals, Joe Willock. I mean, it, you put him in a team and he will score goals. He, he, he did it at youth level and he's actually done it relatively impressively at senior level too. So, mm. And great to see two academy players, and they're great mates as well, Joe Willock and Inketia, uh getting the goals for Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I, I had this weird sensation after the game last night where, you know, this is sort of one of those games that when you look back... Um, in the history books, and you look back at the result, and you look at the goal scorers. You know, if maybe it's one of those games where you can sort of point to as the start of, you know, what what's going to be the next generation at Arsenal, right. the next iteration of Arsenal. Like if you if you were to go back, you know, to the late eighties and and stuff like that, and and you see. Uh, or mid to late eighties, and you, and you see a game in which we've won, where you know it's Rowcastle and Thomas with the goals. And I'm not mm. sort of saying these guys are are going to be Rowcastle and Thomas or anything like it, but you know, just one of those games where what what Arsenal are going to be becomes apparent. You can sort of say, okay, there, there, there's where yeah, things yeah. start happening. But that could be just a weird. Uh, thing in my head so you,
2: look, you might also look back and be like who are those guys <laughs> what happened to them
1: <laughs> well I hope not I hope not yeah. I hope that this is uh, something we look back on and and you know these are performances that these young players can can build on and it is apparent that you know we are we are a club and we are a team that is going to have to build to the future and these guys Can be part of that and should be part of that, uh, particularly at a financially uh, challenging time in, in football's history. So look, is there anything else from the game itself that you want to touch on or the result, the performance that you think we need to go over before we go into part two?
2: Um, just to say that, you know, while their keeper wasn't great, I thought Emmy Martinez was pretty solid. Yeah. And he has, you know, uh, he has uh, an energy around him that sort of is very calm. And uh, maybe, I mean, I hope, Touchwood this isn't wrong, but I just feel relatively secure with him there. I think as backup goalies go,
1: yeah.
2: he's pretty steady and he seems like he has a very steady character.
1: Did you hear him um, talk to Joe Willock? I think no. there was a corner and I'm pretty sure it was it was Martinez. There was a corner from the from the from our left-hand side anyway. And I think Willock was at the near post and Martinez was saying something to him like, "Come on, Joe. This is not getting past you. It's not get Come on, Joe. You could do, you know, that kind of stuff which I, I really like mm. um, you know, sort of spread a little bit of assurance and and give the give the young players confidence. So, yeah, I think you're right. You know, concerns over Martinez really have been more about you know, his age and the relative lack of, of playing time he's had at that age mm. than what we've necessarily seen from him as a player.
2: Mm, Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's not like he's got this back catalogue of howlers, you know, like some goalkeepers we've had in the past. I think people have sort of looked at it and thought, well, you know, why hasn't he played more football? But he did have a really transformative loan spell at Reading where he was outstanding. And I think since he came back... He's looked pretty decent on every occasion for us. So I, I'm actually... Look, it's really terrible that Leno's out and thank God it's not worse than it is. But I'm pleased for Emmy Martinez that yeah. he is now going to get a little bit of a run. I mean, he really has waited patiently for that. So yep. uh, I'm pleased for him in that respect. And uh, in a season where it doesn't feel like it matters enormously... Uh, I I think we can afford to give him that.
1: All right. Okay. Well, look, that just about sums that up. That's Southampton nil, Arsenal two. uh, The greatest result in Wednesday's, or Thursday's Premier League history. Uh, So we will take a little bit of a break here. We're going to come back with uh, some big talking points because there were some bits and pieces that that went on that we're going to have to address. So we'll do that with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog on the ArseBlog Facebook page, Facebook.com. Oh, fuck, I forgot to do Facebook and the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArseBlog member on Patreon. You can do that by going to Patreon.com forward slash ArseBlog, support every, everything we do on the site uh, for a fiver a month. Right we got to get into the Gendouzi thing so we've got questions but let's sort of lay out the scenario as we understand it he was left out entirely of the squad last night Mikel Arteta said uh, what was his phrase Uh, not tactical reasons squad management so that's another one of our stock phrases for yeah uh, we're leaving a player out we're not going to tell you exactly why Um, the Brighton thing right? he got off from the FA he was given a reprieve I guess by not being punished by the FA and mm. to me anyway that incident with Mope was not worthy of being dropped from the squad uh, f- for a game like this right I don't mm. I don't really understand the 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 logic of that, if that's what it was. And actually, Mikel Arteta said, no, it wasn't that. Um, Whatever we we do, we'll we'll keep internal. So would it be reasonable to assume that there was a, a conversation, at least with with Gendouzi this week, which didn't quite go as well as. We might have hoped. Would that be a, a fair assumption to make, without sort of wandering too far into the realms of speculation as to to what exactly might have happened, or, or without using the words "bust" and "up"? <laughs>
2: Maybe. I, I honestly don't know. Um, when he got off with the FA, I did tweet saying that Gendouzi got off with it with the FA, but I don't think he will with Arteta. And I didn't necessarily mean just the instant full-time. I do think Arteta won't have taken particularly kindly to uh, the stories that have come out of Brighton about what Gendouzi was saying on the pitch. You know, all this stuff about he was... Saying about how he earns more than other players and things like that, mm. I don't, I don't see that sitting well with Arteta. I know things go on on the pitch in football matches, but uh, I don't think that's particularly. Oh, this is a very ridiculous word to use, but it's not really becoming, is it, of a young player uh, coming through Arsenal? Um, maybe there was more to it but i clearly think arteta thinks gandouzi has a bit of a discipline issue mm. arteta is not alone in that respect that has followed gandouzi everywhere he's been his whole career since he was since he was a teenager at paris saint-germain at like 15 years of age people knew he had this big attitude with him mm. and uh i think arteta's looking to sort of shape that and hone it and define it but it you know it, it it's, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because you, what I can't tell at the moment is if Arteta will see that element of Genduzi's personality and think, that's great, it just needs to be properly applied. Or if he'll be looking at it and thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to handle and deal with this in the long term.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's not the first time that there's been a disciplinary issue with Genduzi no. this season, of course, because there was an incident during the warm-weather training camp in Dubai where... I think that there were some issues with Guendouzi's behavior and there were some uh, angry exchanges, I think, is what the reporting said at the time between Arteta and the coaching staff. He was left out of the next game when we came back from Dubai, which Arsenal won 4-0 against Newcastle. So there's a little bit of previous there. And as you've said, there's been some previous at at, at other clubs that he's had. You know, this is a player with... Uh, you know, with a with a real personality, whether you like it or not is a, is another question. And he is, I think it's fair to say, based on my mentions and some of the comments that you know I've seen this morning, uh, he's a player who really, really divides opinion among Arsenal He really is. Go on. Th- we had a couple
2: of questions that I thought. Uh, Summed that up. Yeah. So so like Sam, who's at SK Arsenal said, with rumours doing the rounds this morning regarding a possible exit for Mateo, I can't help but think this will be a big mistake and a huge backward step in terms of recruitment strategy. And then on the other side, you know, uh guest T nine six said, Why is there so much desire for Ganduzi to stay? He's an undisciplined young midfielder who is inconsistent, cannot head a ball, and miraculously his view is viewed as an expensive asset get 45 million, tidy profit, move on. Isn't that the dream model anyway?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I've got. I've got Johnny Bowden at Johnny underscore B underscore AFC. He says, Genduzi is a figure you should be developing. Young, combative, always forward-thinking. His role and positioning should be coached. Mm-hmm. Why instead are we looking to move on? We already have holes in midfield and he could answer a lot of issues in the future. And then, you know, uh, King Khan, who's at I'm an arsaholic uh, on Twitter says, how much do you seriously think we could get for Genduzi?" I'm not his biggest fan i don't think it will hurt too much if he goes and we also had one on the uh the discord as well um from 1.76 acres saying with rumors uh, swirling about uh, regarding interest in gendouzi from abroad and considering it was left out of the squad today and maybe on the manager's bad side at uh, what price would you start to contemplate selling the kid this is based on story a story that emerged in le keep today which says that during this conversation uh, that that Arsenal and Gendouzi had, you know, the the prospect of his departure was brought up, and Gendouzi wasn't averse to it. Arsenal apparently don't appear uh, that averse to it as well. So you know, this is a, this is a um, this is an interesting situation. I mean, I, I will just say, um, I've always been a little more circumspect about Gendouzi uh, uh, than some people. Uh, yeah. I, I can see that there's talent there, and you know, I. I I see the argument for wanting and needing players with personality because I think it's important. I think Arsenal have been a team of nice guys for too long, and I don't really have any issue with players who are, you know, can be a bit of a prick on the pitch. I don't really have a problem with that. Like the genduzi I earned this stuff. It's not great, but like fuck it. You know, people say say stuff to each other all the time on the football pitch. All the time and like, you know, I think it's a bit much for someone like Mope who is a complete wind-up merchant himself to sort of go to the shri- uh, you know, the fainting couch of because course. somebody yeah. somebody said something about money to me. It's like come on. You know, let's let's be realistic here. I think I think they, they, they might have, you know, put that story out there because generally speaking, people find that kind of stuff a bit crass, you know, how much you earn or whatever. You know, it suggests that there's a, a focus on money. I, I sort of take that with a little bit of a pinch of salt. I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff. I don't have a problem with a combative personality or I don't have a, a problem with a player who really, really dislikes losing. And I think, you know, it's easy to forget, like, um, the sort of personality that Genduzzi can show on the pitch in a positive way. Think about the Aston Villa game when we were down to 10 men and he won us a penalty and he really, really helped drive the team to a, an unexpected uh, victory, you know, back earlier in this season. So I think those qualities are useful. Um, but at the same time, I think there has to be a way of. Of harnessing them and making them uh, work in a positive way more often than not, and that is where I think maybe Arteta has got some some doubts.
2: Maybe, but I also think that Genduzi, just based on those natural traits, I think you're absolutely right to say that. <sighs> What's bad about him is kind of what could be good about him, you know that 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 fire in him could yeah. be his fuel, but it means that he requires maybe a bit more management than certain other personalities. And as much as we can look at it from the outside and go, oh, this spells trouble for Gunduzi. And I know, I know that there are people in Arsenal who are a bit sort of fatigued of his personality already. I, I do think that. Maybe it reflects as well... Oh, I, 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 I don't know what to say, but like that Arteta is paying him this degree of focus I think suggests... but Could suggest that he thinks there's something there worth persisting with, if you see what I mean. That, you know, like uh, the kind of sort of prodigal son thing, or like uh, where someone's kind of a... Uh, Tough love. You're hard on someone. Talk. Yeah, you're sort of hard on someone because you... You want them to change because you think it would be good. I
1: don't know. I know what but, you mean. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. you want to be, like, a little bit strict because if you can instill a little bit more discipline, you can you can get a lot more out of the potential that, that a player has. That kind of thing.
2: Yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, I'm trying to think of other personalities like that in football, but I, I suppose it's like, I mean, it's not the same, okay? He's a very different person. But if Roy Keane, for example, had not had Sir Alex Ferguson, he probably just would have been a guy running around just kicking people, trying to get them off the park. But it's about that being kind of channelled and allied into sort of a competitive spirit that can sort of make a player, you know, significantly better. And I think that if Arteta can somehow instil that degree of discipline in Gendouzi? we will have a really, really interesting player on in our hands. I think where it becomes tricky is in a scenario where Arsenal get offered a lot of money for Guendouzi. Mm. And, and then you sort of have to look at it and be like, well how much investment is worth it at this stage. If, if we're offered the chance to ta- get enough money for Ganduzi, and maybe we wouldn't, maybe that's pie in the sky, but to, that we could bring in a, an established, experienced, ready-made midfield player, then I think you're in a, Then That's a quandary at that point.
1: Yeah, look, I think the other... The key... Uh, another key part of this discussion is the contractual situation. Mm. And Ganduzi. Um, signed a four-year deal, apparently, um, which means that we're now two years out. So yeah. we're at the point where we have to make a decision. Uh, by Raul Sanyahi's own admission, you know, he talked about a, a scenario where player contracts are five years, but once you get to the two-year point, you have to make a decision. That decision is, do you extend the contract of the player? And if you don't two years is the point at which you sell because he's got more value and you're not in a you don't allow yourself to get to a situation where a player's got one year left on his contract and you're compromised your ability to negotiate uh, is completely um, fucked you know we've Mm -hmm. had too many of those situations at Arsenal in the past so this is this is a scenario where we want to see You know, the the people who are running the football club at executive level, you know, to make the decisions that they said they were going to make to operate in the way they said they were going to operate. And I I feel like perhaps this is one of those where if Gendouzi, if the report in in is is accurate, if he's not averse to the idea of leaving Arsenal, is he fully committed to Arsenal? Do you know what I mean? Is it, yeah. And I'm not saying he's going to go through the motions on the pitch or anything else. But if Gendouzi, in that conversation, said, no, look, I, I want to make it here. I want to be an Arsenal player for the next four or five years. You know, I'm fully committed to this project. I'm a young player. I can be part of it. In terms of the profile, uh, age profile of the players that we feel like we're going to need going forward, he's absolutely it. He's absolutely the, the, the right age to develop and become part of a project if that's what he wants and if that's what we want. But it's, it's those questions which then feed into that two-year thing. You know, if it's not 100% what we want and if it's not 100% what he wants, we're now at the point where that decision needs to be made.
2: Yes, I think that's true, because he is a valuable asset, you know, and and it, it would be a travesty to, having sort of taken the gamble on him, got a player who's probably worth a lot more than what we paid for him, it'd be travesty to let that value diminish by allowing him to get near the end of his contract. Yeah. Um... So I imagine that's what we will do.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, look, let's, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. It does feel like, you know, this is, this is a situation that has kind of come to a head, which forces, you know, either another conversation... You know, this, I think it's, it's easy to think that, right, it's, it's done and dusted. Things can change. Things can get on the right track as quickly as they can get off it, you know? Oh, yeah. It's it's not, it's not like it's, this is an irreparable situation, but, but given the profile of what's happened, the fact that it's in, you know, the fact that there's a story like this in, uh, the morning after Gendouzi has been left out suggests that there's there's stuff going on in the back channels, you know, uh, and, and part of this, I'm sure, will have been to alert potential suitors to Gendouzi's possible availability. You know, mm. he's he's mm. willing to leave Arsenal is like a ding, 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 ding to any clubs that might be interested in him who might be mm. prepared to, pump, uh, you know, put up the money. So, look, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. But I have a question here and we'll move on. This comes from the Discord. It's from Toby Lilyleaf, who says Can we talk about Bellerin? A wonderful man and an Arsenal boy at heart, but can or should we do better? Or do we still need to be patient?
2: It's a good question. I think that, um, we touched on this in part one, but I think that Bellerin is in part being kind of managed through these games. There's no, well, Maitland-Niles has made it pretty clear he doesn't want to pay right back. Socrates has been injured. Cedric is injured. Bellerin is pretty much it for us as far as right backs go. He is still recuperating from a long-term injury. And I suspect that is a factor. I'm not going to say that's the only Reason, but I think that's a factor in why Arteta was kind of playing him in a slightly more inhibited role. Mm. That that said, I mean there are still elements of his performance that I think you can question. You know, yesterday I thought his, and I've seen this point made elsewhere, his his passing was a bit conservative at times and not as progressive as it might be. Um, Well, it just
1: wasn't. I I mean, I think. I think it was just bad, his passing yeah. yesterday, like um, eye-catchingly bad, and that's unusual for him. You know, uh, he's usually quite good on the ball, technically good, but yesterday his, his passing was well off. I mean, how much would you put that down to the fact that, you know, we've played three games in a week and he's played 90 minutes in all of them, having had a fairly substantial layoff and, and everything else?
2: I think it could be a big factor and I would be surprised if he plays against Sheffield United at the weekend. I really would. I think that if Socrates is available, I think Arteta might drop him in there. I just don't know that you can keep pushing Bellerin like no. this and not expect repercussions. I also think there's a discussion here about the sort of shape of the team and, you know, the, the left wing is really promising and encouraging in terms of Tierney, Saka, Aubameyang the right-hand side is not clicking quite so much. And that's partly deliberate. I mean, there is definitely a left-sided emphasis in this team. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, I think that, you know, Bellerin and Pepe, the precise mechanics of that relationship still, I think, need calibrating, don't they? And I think that, you know, it's not, it's not clicking too often, really.
1: It doesn't look like a natural kind of fit does it, you know?
2: It doesn't. No, but is that partly instruction? Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because- I mean, I,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I made the point in the first part of the show that we don't get the ball to to Pepe enough. I'm just going to have a look and see from yesterday. You know, Pepe only got eight passes in the entire game. I think one of them might have been from from Hector Bellerin. I'm just trying to... I think it was Two. But, two.
2: It, yeah, I mean... There was a stat that Bellerin, I think, passed infield to Mustafi 12 times and out to Pepe twice. I mean, it was not really... The ball wasn't really progressing down that flank. And look, it's not all on Bellerin. I mean, Pepe has to kind of make himself available, but he's clearly under instruction to stick to that touchline. And I actually think in any Mikel Arteta team, a bit like in any Pep Guardiola team, you know, there will be a wide player dictated to stay on each touchline to Mm. spread the play give the team width you know and Arsenal had Saka as that most extreme player on the left hand side going forward yesterday and he often is Saka and Pepe on the right and it's not perfect for Pepe it's not really where he can affect games most can be most dangerous sort of coming into that inside channel but it is seemingly where Arteta Mm. wants him and you know, he is doing that job for the team as much as anything, but it, it does not lend itself massively to the individual qualities of the players we have on that particular side. I mean, are you worried about Bellerin?
1: Yeah, a little bit, all right. Um, I I can see, you know, three games in uh, three days, playing 90 minutes in all of them. You know, that's tough for a player who's... who's um, who's been out for a while and I think it's just tough in the current circumstances anyway. You know, I can't think of... Is Mustafi the only other one to do uh, 90 minutes in all the other games? Obamiang uh, maybe?
2: Aubameyang,
1: yeah I think. And, and Mustafi. Yeah. So only three three of them maybe have, have done it. Um Yeah, I'm a little bit worried, all right. I, I feel like... The, the cruciate injury has had a big impact on him. I feel like the ankle injury he had before has had a big impact on him. I spoke to you, was it to you the other day? I'm mm. just w- wondering about like, what are the stats telling us, you know, behind the scenes? What are the physical stats? What are the sprint stats? What are the pace, you know, the stamina, you know, his ability to, uh, to get up and down the line is part of the reason he's being instructed to play the way he's playing because he can't play any other way. Because there are some physical issues there. I mean, I don't know. I, I like. I'd just be fascinated to see, you know, if the pace. I mean, it's clear to me anyway that the pace, certainly with my eyes, the pace he used to have is not the pace he has right now. And that, you know how much of his game was dependent on that pace is, is another question. And players can develop as they get older. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being patient. Um, it feels a little bit like. I guess if they had like serious, serious concerns over Bellerin's ability, they might have set their sights a little bit higher than Cedric Suarez in terms of a right-back signing.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, who knows? We've seen so little of Suarez, we've seen nothing of him, that it's very difficult to assess what sort of, player we've got there but based on the people I know who watched him at Southampton I don't think he's uh I don't think he's going to be a dramatic improvement on Bellerin that's for sure no so yeah I mean I have seen a few whispers just doing the round on social media not necessarily grounded in anything saying you know could Bellerin be one of those players who's in a position where Arsenal might be thinking about selling him at some point um you know, he's still got three years remaining on his contract. Mm. But, but you know, he's, at, he's 25. He's at an age where he'd have a decent resale value. That could be a possibility for Arsenal if they need to raise yeah.
1: funds. But, I mean, that um, money would then have to be reinvested back into... Into a right back. Into a right back. There's no question about that. You cannot sell Bellerin and have Suarez as your first choice because now you've no backup again. And, and like you say, I don't think... I mean, I think Suarez will be... A steady enough kind of a player, you know he's plenty of experience at a premier league level and international level, but he's not he's not going to take you anywhere you you want to go in a hurry you know um yeah. I see him the logic to signing him as backup to add depth to the right back position that's fine, but that I don't know that you can really um develop I mean, your team. Thing-
2: yeah the funny thing is when we signed Cedric I was like oh god there's a massive gulf there in terms of quality between him and Bellerin and I suppose the the thing that speaks most to my concern about Bellerin is right now I'm not sure we would massively feel the difference and yeah that, that's, that's partly because Bellerin's not playing great. And it is also because Bellerin's role has been adapted to be a little bit more conservative and a little bit more defensive, which is actually generally where Cedric is too. You know, he's not a dribbler. He's not someone who run, carries the ball massively. He's someone who kind of will tuck in and, and play a bit more of a defensive game. And I, and I also do think, is it instructive in some ways that Arteta in January, when he needed a short-term solution as we thought was the time went for Cedric maybe he was looking at how lopsided our team is and the fact that that is what he requires more from a right back but it would be great to have an overlapping right back option too Mm. and the question now is can Bellerin still do that and I think we have to give him a little bit more time because I think it's two years isn't it they say the recovery I mean where are we now we're about 18 months or something like that I think We've got to give him that full two years, but I, I have my concerns, I'll be honest.
1: Yeah. That's fair. Okay. I think it's your question.
2: Uh, uh, yes, let me have a look. This is a question about... Oh, it's actually to me, but I'll put it to you as well. Okay. It's Martin Webb says, would James like to review his opinion about the role and impact Reece Nelson will have over this period? Hasn't started a game and very few minutes from the bench despite the five-sub rule. I'm big fan of his, but concerned at his continued lack of game time. I mean, yes, so far I was wrong about that. I did think that Nelson would play more minutes. And I think he probably... I think I thought he probably would have earned a start by now too. Mm. Um, What do I put it down to? I guess it's a little bit the shape. It's the fact that Aubameyang is one of those... Wide players, and that's pretty much a cert. And then you've got on the other flank, Saka played the first game. Pepe has played since then, and obviously for for different reasons, they've both sort of done enough to to be in the team. But I am a little bit surprised he's not been used as a f- sort of closer in games. Well, you know, he was playing. against
1: Brighton, and uh, you know he wasn't particularly great for the Brighton winner. So um, yeah,
2: maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Maybe yeah, that's look, part of it. I,
1: I think I think he'll start on. Sunday. Do you? Yeah, I think he will start on Sunday um, because I think Arteta is going to have to, to rotate and I actually have a question on this. Um, it comes from... Obamayang uh, FC, who's at Aviv underscore Lavi on Twitter, who says, "With five of the eight remaining FA Cup teams above us in the league, what do you think our chances of winning the competition this season are?" Uh, so that's one question, and then I just wanted to expand it into what you kind of think uh, Arteta is going to do with his his team on on Sunday. Um, mm. Because you know we've played three games in a week, basically. Um, what's the next game after? What is the next game after? The I don't know. I game? sort of.
2: I, I only really have thought about this block of games. It's it's a Norwich at the Emirates on Wednesday evening.
1: On Wednesday evening. So yeah. So we're doing Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday. Look, I think he's going to have to rotate quite a lot.
2: Yes, because there's a big, tough period coming up after that because we play Norwich, then we go away to Wolves, uh, host Leicester and go away to Spurs and then host Liverpool. So <laughs> it's not an easy or pleasant run in that
1: period. No, it's not. So, right, let's start. What do you think our chances of winning the FA Cup are?
2: Well, I had to go back and look at who's still in it. Because Tell me, I remind
1: forget- me, because I've forgotten as so, well.
2: We've got Sheffield United uh, away and then it's Norwich versus Manchester United. Right. Leicester versus Chelsea. Right. And Newcastle against Man City. Right. I mean... There's some strong teams there. You've got Chelsea, Man City and Man U potentially in your semi-final. So
1: what we need to do, A, is is, um, beat Sheffield United, which is going to be very difficult because they've been very, very good this season and we know precisely how good they've been. Mm -hmm. We need Norwich to beat Manchester United. Mm. Who are Chelsea playing?
2: Leicester. I mean, that's a toss-up, really. So
1: we need Leicester to beat Chelsea and we need Newcastle to beat Man City, and then we need to get Norwich in the semi-final, and then Newcastle Newcastle. to beat Leicester in the other semi-final, and we play Newcastle in the final, and we win 2-0 with goals from Mark Overmars and Nicholas Anelka.
2: Yeah, basically. Uh, I mean, looking at that, I'm not too optimistic about winning the FA Cup, are you?
1: No, no,
2: but it is the FA Cup and we have done it before. We beat Man City in a semi final and Chelsea in a final, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we've been there, done that, and we've had some great success in, in this particular uh, tournament. I mean, I, you know, it's a tricky one for Arteta because, look, uh, the Premier League is uh, it, it looks difficult for us to finish in the top six. I must remind myself of the table. Um, Where are we exactly? We're now in ninth. Okay, so we're like six points off Wolves, which makes that Wolves game a real six-pointer. And also the the, the Tottenham game is a six-pointer as well uh, in in qualification for Europe terms. Mm. Three games in the FA Cup, cup football for all the surprises that it can throw up and everything else it's a tricky one because he needs to rest players but also the FA Cup is is a chance of a trophy, a chance of success, a chance to get into Europe. Oh, it's tough. It is difficult. It is difficult. Uh,
2: uh, what what sort of team do you think we'll see then at the weekend?
1: I'm just trying to think. I don't think he can play Bellerin. I don't think he can play Holding because I, you know, we have to respect the fact that Holding's been out for a long time as well and... Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing holding, but again, it, it depends on the physical tests and how well players are playing. Sabios mm. um, has played quite a lot, hasn't been particularly good. So do we give Willock a start in, in the FA Cup? Um, Maitland-Niles, you know, I think he's going to have to rotate just simply because, you know, the players have done a lot in a short period of time after a long break. So I think they're just the physical demands and the realities of that situation are going are to mean uh, we're going to have to change things. So is,
2: is David Luiz available? Yeah. I think he is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, well, Eminem Martinez is, is, remains the cup goalkeeper, I think. Mm. I don't think Matt Macy will play. No. Um, I think he'll play Sokratis at right back and then Mustafi and Luiz, maybe. Um, yeah. I don't think he'll play Tierney. I think he'll play Kalasanac. Then in front he'll of play that, Xhaka,
1: he'll definitely play Xhaka.
2: Shaka will play.
1: Uh I mean Genduzzi could come back in, he's had a little rest. Maybe they smooth things over and you've got a you've got a nice fresh Genduzi to, to fit into your midfield.
2: Maybe, maybe. Maybe. I think I think Aubameyang will play. I I just feel like well, I feel like the, I feel like he, he can sort of sustain it better than some players, and I think he's just so important. Lacazette? Um, Lacazette will play. And then...
1: Nelson or yeah, Pepe?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe Saka... I don't know, where, maybe Saka won't play. I, I feel like Saka will play, but I've got no idea where.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, maybe he, if he's feeling the ankle or, or whatever it might be, it might be just wise to to leave him out or at least have him on the bench. I mean, is Mesut Ozil going to play?
2: Well, he's not played a minute, has he, so far? Just the cup, though,
1: and, you know.
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, he could do. He could do. I mean, he is a fresh option, Mm. and we're going to need them. I mean, that run of fixtures is absolutely punishing. So, maybe it is time to play Mesut Ozil. Do you, do you think anything of the fact he's not played a minute? Do you think that's making a point from Arteta? Or do you think it's sort of he wants to give the game time to the kids?
1: Maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. He did say afterwards that he doesn't pick his team, uh, you know, to send a message to anyone. He picks his team to, to win games. I mean, I, I I didn't see a scenario in yesterday's game which would have made me confident of the introduction of mesoozil at any point, even if I could recognize that there is a there's a there's a dearth of creativity and passing ability in midfield. I don't know that one nil away from home against Southampton is when you put on mesoozil. If you're one nil down with twenty minutes to go, maybe you put him on. If you're three nil up with twenty minutes to go, there's a good case to say, yeah, let him on there and, and let him do his thing. But one nil away from home, that's not that's not an Ozil scenario. Yeah. Um, is there something to be read into the fact that he hasn't played a single minute? That the most, you know, um, the the most visceral image or the most we've seen of Mesut Ozil is basically him sitting there with a with an umbrella. I think there is something to read into that because he was so involved under Arteta before the lockdown. Mm. So there, you can't be blind to what's happening. Um, I just feel like he's there as a bit of reassurance in the squad if the circumstances allow him to be used. And against Southampton yesterday, I don't think the circumstances were there.
2: Yeah, if you're a couple of goals up and you wanted someone to come on and help you keep the ball and you know look tidy, I think, or if you need to break down a packed defence, of course you want him there. And actually... I think taking him sort of saves a conversation as well, doesn't it? I mean, from Arteta's point of view, leaving him out entirely is, means that's what your press conference is about. Mm. He, he I don't think he had to talk about it yesterday. No. Because if you win, it's no one mentions it. Yeah. So I think, you know, like, like you say, it's a bit from column A but from column B. I'm not adverse to him coming back in at the weekend. I think, you know, Arteta said squad management regarding Gunduzi, but I think really squad management in terms of keeping it fresh in this period is going to be absolutely critical, Mm. especially if we have any ambitions of an FA Cup run.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see what he does on Sunday. It's a game that we will discuss on the Arscast Extra on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully we're talking about a a good win, a good performance. Um, I'd be happy to talk about a bad win. I don't really mind.
2: I mean this wasn't a brilliant win, was it? And we fun enjoyed it. Yeah. Any win will do. Any win will
1: do. <laughs> we are the we are literally the, the thirsty man in the desert who would be happy to lap out of a dirty puddle because, you know, we, we don't have any water at the moment. But there you go. Uh, needs must and, and you enjoy things in their own context. But look, we will see. Uh, we've got to run because there are time pressures today. Thank you as ever for being here. Thank you for being with us. Uh, and we're glad to be able to chat about uh, an Arsenal win uh, in this post lockdown. I mean, the last time, James, we did a podcast about an Arsenal win was back in March after the game against West Ham. So that's three and a half months ago. So uh, from our point of view, it's very welcome. Hopefully you've enjoyed it too. Uh, Enjoy your weekend. Fingers crossed for Sunday, and we will catch you on Monday with a brand new Arsecast Extra. Until then,
2: bye-bye.